Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and every week we get together to discuss how communities can bring more, better, and faster digital technologies to your communities. Our guest, our first guest uh, today is Christopher Mitchell, who is the um, Director of Community Broadband Networks Initiative at the Institute for Local uh, Self-Reliance. He's a leading expert on uh, community networks and internet access. Plus, we, he and I, have been friends and colleagues in the trenches of uh, broadband uh, issues and so forth for a while, like a real long time. But here we are. Let's just rock it. And so, Chris, welcome to the show. I guess coming back to the show. It's great to be back, Craig. I love, I love talking to you about this stuff. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So let's roll and let's talk about the big, the big issue of the day from money standpoint. Uh, we've got the, what is it, 50, $65 billion program. Uh, a lot of it is for broadband infrastructure. Um, and you wrote a piece recently about sort of an assessment of uh, this bill. Um, in the net of it, what do you think? Is this a win? Is this a full-on you know, full everybody wins kind of situation? Or how, how would you describe that bill? Yeah, I would say this is definitely not a case of everyone winning. And this is the infrastructure bill, which uh, we're talking about language that passed the Senate, but no one knows what's going to happen in the House, but apparently it's going to happen soon. So uh, this could be out of date pretty quick. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, if you're, I was just talking to a reporter about this and I was saying that if you live in a rural part of a state and you do not have anything close to broadband access, then you will probably be a winner. If you live in an urban or a suburban area and you can afford $70, $80 a month, uh, but you would really like to have some other option than the cable monopoly, then you are probably not going to be a winner. Uh, so I think that the emphasis is probably where it should be in terms of the overall like need of what we should focus on as a society. But in terms of the sheer number of people, vast majority of Americans aren't going to see much out of this. Uh, but there's good news for people in very rural areas, and there's good news for people in more urban areas who have affordability challenges. Okay. So you and I have talked about this a, a number of times, uh, both to each other and to other people. Um, what do we do about the urban issue, this thing that just perpetuates uh, this handing out money to rural areas who do need it. I am definitely not going to say that they don't. However, from a sheer just numbers perspective and just also the need, um, we just don't seem to do well by our uh, urban communities. Yes, that's correct. And that is because, uh, you know, among other reasons, but I think the most important reason is that the big cable and telephone companies uh, put a lot of money into politics precisely to prevent government from dealing with the structural problem of not enough options in the marketplace and no hope of really having robust market options absent smarter government policy. Um, so I think um, I'm bullish about this bill. I mean, you might interpret what I just said as being negative, but I think it's great because it will largely uh, resolve the issue of the most rural areas. It will allow us in the future to focus more on the broken marketplace than on uh, the unserved in rural areas. Um, but also this puts more money into uh, the urban areas for the affordability. And that's where I think we desperately need to act quickly. Um, the the thing we have to admit is that even if even if our solutions, Craig, you and I and other people that we're allied with, if we had our way, it would take years in order to um, make sure that we had um, built the infrastructure that was needed because solving the urban challenge um, really needs, needs new infrastructure. We can't just rely on the cable infrastructure. And in the meantime, we need to do something, and that something is in this bill. 
So, okay, that's, I guess that's fine. But then what do you do about, um, you know, you got a situation where maybe 40, 50% of a school district can't get to the internet. And if you're talking about businesses needing it, um, you know, smaller businesses, if you're talking about, um, you know, just general, the the economics of rural, of um, urban areas, um, you you can't just say, uh, well, have a nice day and one way, you know, we'll get better. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. I get, I get very frustrated by the whole thing, but, there has to be something that we can do. Yeah, no, under, underneath this breezy exterior that you're hearing is the cauldron of rage about <laughs> the fact that, I mean, not only, not only did, we, um, um, did we recognize that this was a major issue, like, I feel like the Biden administration got our hopes up. But was it March or so, I think, when they said, mm-hmm. and you know what, like, we really need to, uh, we need to structurally change the market to, to resolve the problems that we see, the massive increases in, um, in costs and things like that. The only way we can do that is by really embracing municipal and cooperative options. And, and so I started to get my hopes up because I'm a fool and <laughs> that's what I do. I, um, okay. and so, um, <laughs> I, if you asked me in January, I would have said, like, if you told me that about this bill in January, I would have said, like, wow, that sounds like tremendous progress. But then I got my hopes up that we would actually be doing something about more urban areas. Um, now, let me, let me say something, though. Like, I feel like this week we got great news. Um, this week, I don't – time is killing me. Um, this week, I think the $10 billion rules for the coronavirus capital projects um, came out from Treasury. And Treasury is a, is a department I was very critical of from the rescue plan rules. Because uh-huh. I remember those. I felt like when the rescue plan passed, it looked like it was going to be great for areas. And I always use the example of Baltimore because Baltimore is served by Comcast. And if you have 70 or $80 a month, Comcast says it could basically deliver you a gig anywhere in the city. And they're probably right. And actually, that's mm-hmm. more like 100 120 probably. Um, nonetheless, if you have a lot of money, Comcast is a pretty good solution for Baltimore. Not great, and we certainly can do better, but like it's there everywhere. But half the kids in Baltimore during the pandemic did not have broadband. That is a major problem. The, the Treasury Department and the rescue plan rules started focusing on this 25-3 nonsense as though yeah. that would be relevant. So we're past that, though. The Treasury Department has a, this new set of rules for a new program, and I think they're quite good. Um, from what I've seen, I actually haven't read every last sentence yet, but I scanned them quick, and I've talked to other people who are more um, more disciplined than I am who sat down and read them all already, and, uh, and it looks good. And, and I'm excited about that $10 billion program. That's going to be helping out in urban areas for cities that want to uh, be creative, that want to be strategic. Um, uh, that's money. You don't have. You don't have to spend it tomorrow. You've got, I believe, more than a year to to think about this and develop plans. Work with the states. Some of the states are going to get in the way, I'm sure. But but we're we're making progress time after time, and and that's the, that's what we need to do right now is we need to make progress. Mm-hmm. So now, um, is this ARPA or or is there something is is this something new? Because I don't remember a new archive. Yeah, I mean, I think the progress is is um, it's um, it's newer. Um, you know, even a year ago, we felt like the federal government was barely taking the digital inclusion challenge seriously. Yeah, you know, which right. is to say that, like in urban urban areas, we have multiple challenges. One is we need to make sure there's high quality infrastructure available. The other is um, where there might even be infrastructure available that can support the kind of networks that are needed at, at, at affordable rates. Um, people need digital skills. They need. They might need devices. And so, you know, when um, when Majority Whip uh, Clyburn, a uh, high-ranking Democrat from South Carolina, when he put together the the plan, the Democrats' plan for broadband last year, it looked great. And and but it still seemed like. 
okay, this is really great on paper. Are we really going to get it? What's going to happen? We're getting large chunks of it right now, and it's largely because um, there are people that are getting it more, and both in D.C. Uh, they're getting it. They're understanding more in the states. States are hiring people that are learning more about this. They're they're listening to folks like us, like National Digital Inclusion Alliance. And mm-hmm. So there's just there's a much better sense of the actual problem that's getting out there. We're we're not all the way there. That's for sure. I mean, Congress and state capitals, the legislators still too often are caught in this like 2009 mindset of like unserved versus served. But yep. uh, but we're we're getting closer day after day. Mm-hmm. Now is the um, so these new rules it is for the same money that came out what at the beginning of this year. Yeah, you could, this is this is where it's really fun, right? Like trying to remember. So the American Rescue Plan, right? The American Rescue Plan, um, which came out, I want to say in like late winter or spring, that yep. created money that was available for broadband infrastructure that went direct to states and cities and counties and tribes. And at the time, it created a program. Uh, that was a $10 billion program that would also be distributed largely through the states, a little bit to tribes and, and others. Um, and the rules for that were supposed to come out you know, four months ago, three months ago, something like that. And they didn't, in part because there was a question of whether Congress was going to claw that money back, which is to say, like, after having told everyone how great this was, they were going to say, by the way, just kidding. Um, and that didn't happen again. And, and, and I want to credit like some people, like I think National League of Cities was crucial in terms of like raising their flag about this and saying this would be really awful if one of the few opportunities that we have in this $10 billion program, which is called the Coronavirus Capital Projects Fund or something like that, but the Coronavirus Capital Projects is in it, um, that if that money got taken away, and then used for the rural broadband that we're seeing in the infrastructure bill today, that would literally be taking money out of the cities, which have been neglected on broadband, to give it to the most rural areas. And that is, if you're a Democrat, that's got to be pretty crazy. So, right. um, so, so anyway, like I mean, there's people that I think individuals, both in uh, Congress, uh, in staffer, the staffers of those positions, and people out that that you know are working in the public interest, that have made sure that didn't happen. But this $10 billion fund was supposed to come out a while ago, and it got delayed while Treasury watched what was happening in Congress. And now I think it's pretty clear that this money is going to be available for broadband. So the rules are out. Um, I think there's going to be some workshops even next week on it. And uh, it's pretty exciting. And cities need to take it seriously and start planning. Um, that's, That's one thing that I would say is that, like, to some extent, People like you and me, Craig, are like shouting at the federal government that we need cities to take a, a, a stronger role. Not every city is ready to do that, and cities need to get ready to do that. You know what? This actually, um, I hadn't thought about this until this today. Um, there was an article that was uh, that came out, and it created some uh, chatter on the NDIA uh, listserv, right? So the title, the headline was basically Broadband Subsidy Program Sign-Ups Lack or Lag uh, Amid a Lack of Outreach Funds. And what was interesting was one of the commenters on the uh, NDIA, uh, NDIA's uh, site said, uh, and I quote, um, I would also like to suggest that based on my experiences in speaking with different people across the state, there is an uneven level of knowledge about digital resources, broadband uh, skills, uh, um, devices, and so forth. And among, but this lack of uh, knowledge is among government leaders, local progress, depends on who has the knowledge. So I look at that and say, well, then what do we do to remedy that particular problem? Because in some respects, it might be easier for the listeners to develop a plan for how you're going to get your um, local leadership engaged. And in fact, I was on the phone with um, uh, Jason in uh, Detroit, 
where he said, um, we just don't worry about the mayor and the city council. We do our thing, right? In, is this where we're going or is this where we should go in terms of uh, trying to engage uh, our leadership, the community leadership, to become more um, aware of the, the importance? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we need to push our leadership not just to devote time and money, real money, to this, and money is available from the federal government that that could be used for multiple things, and so we're asking for them to prioritize that, as well as potentially use some of the additional money that's available to them from local sources, because this is such a high-priority issue. Um, but also something that's an easier ask, um, which is um, to ask them to be really smart in, in pushing at the state level so that the states are putting money into urban areas too. Um, because you know, here in Minnesota, we have a Democratic governor who is from what we call Greater Minnesota, which is to say not the metro part of the of the city, of the mm-hmm. city, not the metro area and the Twin Cities here. But um, they, he will probably want to spend every last dime in rural areas to try to improve his image in absence of you know before before the next election, um, now, and. And a lot of people will naturally feel like, well, we have $100 million, we've got $170 million, let's try to connect as many farms as possible. That's a totally legitimate answer. But at the same time, we need to recognize that some of that money needs to help out in urban areas, which have been really left to their own devices uh, when it comes to broadband in so many ways. Bless you. Um, so, I mean, the cities themselves, they have lobbyists. You know, many of the cities are run by people that are of the same party as the governor and the state that they're operating. I mean, that's not the case everywhere, but they need to have effective strategies to say, look, you need to you need to make sure that like 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, like, you know, some significant percentage of this money has to go to these areas that need better service. And, um, you know, and this isn't something that's just, uh, it's just not just a rural problem. And um, and if the if the governor's offices and the legislatures don't hear from core cities uh, on this matter, then it's going to be very easy for them just to put all of that money into rural areas. And um, you know, I I desperately think we need to invest enough to connect everyone in rural areas. The simple fact is is that we have focused way more attention there than we have on urban areas. And there's definitely you know a, a subtle perhaps or perhaps not subtle racial dimension to that, which is that. Most of the money we spent on broadband has gone to communities that are predominantly white, and most of the people that have been left behind are predominantly not white. So, um, you know, this is something that, that anyone who studies history is aware of, and we need to, like, make sure we're not replicating the mistakes of the past as we mm-hmm. spend new money. And I think that um, no, one likes, no one wants to deal with that Element the the, the the issue of race and how it's impacting uh, our decisions about broadband. When we look at um, the urban area, we have 40, 14 million homes with no connectivity at all, and seventy five percent of those folks are African American or other people of color, and so. You can ignore it or you can paper over it, but I think the issue of, of race has to be kind of brought front and center because until you recognize the problem, you're never going to fix the problem, in my humble yep. opinion. No. <laughs> I think that's right. But I also have another item, though, is um, there's a lesson that should be addressed in how we deal with both the rural and definitely the urban areas, which is we have spent billions of dollars every year since the Obama administration did the whole uh, broadband stimulus, right? Billions every year. And the question is, where is the money going, right? Because to me, this issue of um, 
you know, the lack of accountability, the lack of, um, you know, if we're going to say in five years, we're going to have this, um, uh, you know, goals reached, right? But half the people aren't even in the legislators anymore, legislatures anymore. Like, how do we address the accountability factor in the urban and the rural area? Say that again. How do you how do you address the accountability issue? Meaning, if I give mm-hmm. you know X yeah. billion dollars, yeah. I I was I was stumbling over the word accountability because I'm unfamiliar with it in this context. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, okay. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a valid consideration. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, yesterday, I was talking, um, you know, with uh, several people on uh, on broadband breakfast with Drew Clark, and um, in preparation for a panel on Monday, uh, broadband mm-hmm. communities in Houston. And um, I, I went off on a little bit of a rant because I feel like the FCC, it, which is a very important institution um, and um, needs to be taken seriously, um, is not taken seriously. Uh, I think it has dramatically weakened itself. You know, Congress ignores its definition of broadband because its definition of broadband is beyond belief. Um, uh, ISPs don't worry about enforcement of of FCC rules um, like on RDOF or previous grant programs because mm-hmm. – um, FCC has declined to generally enforce its rules in a strong way. Um, many of us don't expect the new maps from the FCC to be very accurate, even if they're better than the atrocious old maps. Um, and so you know, I, I don't know exactly how we get to where we need to go, but I feel like we there's no accountability. Like AT&T, CenturyLink, Frontier, they got billions of dollars. They didn't really do anything with it. It certainly didn't benefit rural communities that were supposed to. There's there's no going back and fixing that at this point. Um, you know, I think at this point, I would just settle for not making that mistake again. And Thank maybe yeah. we're on that path. Um, but no, I don't think there's any justice to be expected here. Those companies, they got away with it. Um, you know, there's a the history of the United States for the past, ever since the railroads, has been one in which, like these big companies, find ways of, of, of taking wealth um, out of our pockets, and we put up with it. And uh, frankly, I'm more focused on trying to make sure everyone can use high quality internet access than trying to figure out how to change that pattern, uh, just in my own work. But I think that, um, at the very least, along the lines of the uh, local level and the state level, there needs to be a change. Because what is the value of giving um, $10 billion to, you know, a bunch of cities if we went that way, right, where there's no accountability and the only people that are being accountable are cities like Chattanooga and Lafayette. I mean, basically the city-run networks are the ones that are responsible to their people right but Mm -hmm. then you you have this other money um and i think that we have to i mean well yeah let me jump in greg i mean this is is a really good question because this is what's coming uh up um you know for those who don't think a lot of the money so stepping back for a second a lot of the money you and i have talked about throughout the show so far is being distributed by the federal government to the states um and the states will then decide how, within certain parameters, how, how they can distribute it and, and, and give it to different entities. And um, and there's a lot of people who are saying, well, sure, like maybe Maine and maybe Colorado um, and, um, you know, several other states will do very well. But other states, you know, um, may do really dumb things. I mean, we know that Idaho, um, for whatever reason, certain interests in Idaho are constantly trying to figure out how to funnel this money to local monopolies rather than to the people and entities that want to build open access networks that will really create better results. Um, So um, I don't have an answer for that, except for this. This is my prediction. I think when it comes down to wasted money and wasted opportunity, 
I think there's far more accountability at the local and state levels than there is at the federal level. Right. I feel like if you if you want to run against you know the the governor or the legislature in Idaho, and you want to dig in on the fact that like you had enough money to solve most of the problems for the state on broadband, and that instead it went to making a few companies more secure in their monopolies, um, that's a possibility. And so there's a chance for accountability there. But if you look at Ardoff, there's there's no accountability for what's going on in Ardoff. And it looks like, I mean, from what I can tell with less insider knowledge than most people have who even know what Ardoff is, but like it seems like it's just a delaying tactic of let's not deal with this. Let's just, you know, let's just roll it out and see kind of what happens. But Ardoff is a, is a real missed opportunity, and it's not like um, there's ever going to be political accountability for that. Um, you know, it's not like a Jeep pie is going to not get a future job or other commissioners have went along with it. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, like nobody cares because it's the FCC and no one pays attention to it. And that's one of the problems that we have here. So, uh, we got about, uh, three minutes. Let's hammer on this issue of the states, right? Uh, Arkansas this year reversed their anti-muni laws. Washington State, Washington State, um, uh, they reversed their laws there regarding muni broadband. Right? How do we build on that to get more? And I also will say that you visit, you wrote an article. Well, your group wrote an article about I don't know, maybe eight different states where they tried to protect municipal broadband and then go very far. Yes, yeah, and I should note, I mean, more. I don't recall if, I don't recall if I said earlier, um, but the article you talked about that we wrote about the infrastructure bill and things like that was written by my colleague, Sean. Uh, I think the article about, about the other things was written by Jericho maybe, but um, my team does most of the writing at this point and I just, um, um, people confuse uh, that with me. So I just want to make sure people recognize that most of the work that comes out of muninetworks.org is actually written by my really wonderful team. Um, but yeah, I mean, Arkansas and Washington was, uh, it was a real shift. I mean, we hadn't seen that before. Uh, we've only ever gone in one direction and that's more state preemption. <laughs> exactly. And now we're starting to go the other way. And I think that's exciting. Um, the the question is, I think, what happens next in Washington and Arkansas? You know, if, if cities start to take advantage of this and build great networks, well, then that's great. Um, you know, although if that doesn't happen, then probably, um, you know, it's not as important to, to focus on those, like, wins, right? Like, we want to mm-hmm. focus on wins that actually result in people getting better connectivity. And so right. I'm hoping that, that in Washington and in Arkansas, and I know that this is happening in Washington, um, that we're seeing a lot of new conversations about, okay, what can we do now? What what does it make sense to do? What what will pencil out? What is going to move the needle? Um, and um, that is happening. And now that all these cities have money too, like I think we're going to see a lot more partnerships. I think we're going to see, you know, places really studying their options, uh, and that's it's terrific. Um, so, I mean, this is I'm quite optimistic right now. Um, I mean, it's still a long fight, um, but we're getting to the point where um, we can imagine everyone having broadband uh, available to them. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're starting to develop programs to make sure it's affordable for most people. Um, you know, we're making great strides um, really recently. And then, you know, there's a lot of people who are really learning more about this field and getting engaged. So we're building up a real a real field of people that are going to keep um, hopefully staying in the field, um, developing more knowledge and being more and more influential as we move forward. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I just feel like there's incredible optimism right now and there should be. Um, but we still have a lot of hard decisions to make. And frankly, um, the, uh, the big cable and telephone companies, they'll be working hard to reverse our victories. Um, so this is not something that's going away anytime soon. Okay. Well, that pretty much hits it on the nail on the head. Um, Chris, thank you very much for stopping by. I appreciate it. We will obviously talk again in the, in the future. Um, I'm, I can't be with you in uh, in Houston, but uh, we'll we'll find another gig to participate at, and uh, we'll we'll see you then. But thanks again. I appreciate it. I love it. that. 
Yeah, and uh, have a good rest of the show. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you very much. So I want to move on. Our next guest is Andrew Flynn, who is the general manager of TalkBox Booth, which is a um, leading privacy pod enclosure manufacturer for businesses and home use. And today we're going to talk about telehealth kiosk. Uh, by the way, uh, this, this whole thing of privacy booth, uh, pod enclosures and so forth is just another way of saying a very closed in box that's small enough where it doesn't take a lot of space, but it allows people to work in a very safe and secure and quiet place. Um, many people are probably uh, familiar with kiosks as being those contraptions at the airport uh, check-in desk where people get their tickets printed for their, for their flights. Um, Talksbox, uh, their units are total enclosures that are compact, air-conditioned, they're private, and they allow patients to communicate with doctors and other healthcare uh, personnel. So uh, welcome, Andrew, and let's learn about uh, learn about um, the whole kiosk stuff. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that introduction, and thank you for having me on the show. I, uh, I, I enjoyed listening to the first half of it. It was nice. Ah, coolness, coolness. So, yeah. um, so let's talk about the, the, the kiosk, right? The first time I ran into like a real in-depth sort of conversation uh, is when I was writing a guide on using, um, uh, getting telehealth into libraries. Um, and I ran across the uh, Delaware Libraries um, story and that story, yep. you played a very impressive impact uh, on. And so let's talk about that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. So, um, yeah, TalkBox, we produce uh, what we call phone booths or privacy pods. Um, these these spaces are great for uh, private, safe conversations, um, either, you know, with your, your doctor or a loved one, um, you know, like you said, either in an office space or in a home or in a local municipality, such as a school or a library, um, healthcare facilities, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, when, um, when we were asked, uh, by Delaware libraries to, to come up with a solution for, uh, for private spaces for individuals to do telehealth medicine meetings, uh, we couldn't think of a better, um, better solution than our, uh, uh, talk box double. Um, so we have, we have a couple different models and I'll get into that in a little bit, um, but when communities have limited access to internet or individuals are in a situation where they don't have a private space or a personal computer to talk to their doctors, um, it's really, really awesome when communities can step up and they have uh, places like Delaware Public Libraries um, where individuals can go and talk to their doctors, you know, and have a, have a telehealth meeting uh, in an age where a lot of these uh, a lot of these meetings are now taking place online, and you know doctors will quickly go to telehealth medicine without realizing that some of their patients may not necessarily be able to access them that way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so when people um, so when people who are in need have to spend time, money, and and potentially travel to to get to a a, lo- a location uh, to, to to either speak to their doctor um, or find internet that's that's not at their home um it's it's nice when you can have that at a local school library municipality where where people don't have to spend that kind of money and time um, Mm -hmm. that they may not otherwise have um so yeah talkbox um builds a couple of these things builds a couple of these uh uh telehealth kiosks um and um the, the first one that we built was a the single booth, which is uh, really perfect for a single individual 
um, is great for offices that use a lot of um, telehealth or use a lot of like telecommunications or uh, web chats, stuff like that, which, you know, all of us are doing now. Um, and so the single is perfect for, for one person. Um, we have a double unit that uh, is great for, uh, you know, uh, uh, two individuals. Maybe you have uh, a, an adult and a child. Uh, maybe you have um, uh, a, a parent and um, their, uh, uh, their, their older uh, uh, parent, you know, um, mm -hmm. bringing them in for a doctor's appointment. Um, and so, so those are perfect for, for, you know, two individuals. Um, we also have, uh, an ADA booth that's coming soon, um, which is, uh, perfect for up to four people. Um, Whoa. it's great for, um, it's actually, uh, with podcasting, uh, in, in mind. Um, so, so it's perfect for either podcasting or for larger groups that needs to do telehealth meetings. Um, and, and that one's ADA compliant, which is really great. Um, mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's all, yeah, 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 of course. Okay. So uh, I want to go back to the, the, this Delaware, uh, project. So, um, how does that process work? Did the Delaware have a plan, uh, for how the, the, uh, kiosks are going to be used? Um, is there like a needs assessment that was done and then there and said, well, we ha we need to have kiosks. I mean, what I, I've got an idea like for other libraries that say, well, okay, how do we get started? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think that um, one of the first things that, you know, a library or a local municipality would need to do is to, you know, assess the needs of the population, right? You know, if the mm -hmm. um, in in the Delaware Library situation, uh, they they knew that they had individuals that were already coming to the library to use the computers for telehealth meetings for their doctors. Um, mm -hmm. And a library a library like many office buildings out there is a large open concept with you know computers in open floor plans and uh, talking privately about you know, intimate matters with your doctor um, in an open space like that can can become awkward quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, so Delaware came to us, um, a gentleman by name of Nick Martin came to us, who's a great guy um, who, was, who spearheaded the entire project. Um, mm -hmm. And um, he came to us with, uh, with this need. Um, and so, you know, I think for other companies thinking about this as a, as a potential solution, you know, I, th I think the first thing is to assess the need and to see if, you know, if it's an internet desert, if there's a large homeless population, if there's people that don't have internet access at home, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, avenues that could cause someone to be in need of uh, free public telehealth connections. Um, mm -hmm. So once that once that needs identified, you can you know think about how many people are in need of this solution or how many people can be helped by this solution. Um, one of those things uh, could could be how many booths you need in one location or how many locations you have. In the case of Delaware libraries, they had three locations that they wanted to try this out in, and so they they purchased three of the the double units. Um, we we went out there and installed them. Um, they, they look great. They're wrapped with uh, the, the company's logos and the, the library's um, information on the outside, which is really awesome. Um, and something I didn't mention about these booths earlier is that the, the telehealth package that we offer for these booths, for these, for these small rooms, um, includes a UVC germicidal light. Uh, it includes a HEPA filter. It includes a, a monitor mount, so you can have uh, an all-in-one monitor with a camera on the on the wall, so you can you know instantly connect to your your doctor at your at your given time. Um, and then there's uh, there's dual fans in the booth for for added ventilation um, with those with those HEPA fans, so you can feel really comfortable in the booth with that that UVC light uh, cleaning that all the areas uh, you know before and after you get into the booth. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so yeah, we 
that for for Delaware libraries, and we were really proud to um, to do that rollout for for people who were in need. Excellent, excellent. Um, in the um, so in, in scheme in the scheme of things, do you recommend uh, organizations do a pilot program of some sort? Yeah, so, so that's a great question, Craig. Um, ans answering this question could go either way. Um, could could either be yes or no. Um, for a for a city or a county who's considering deploying multiple telehealth kiosks. Uh, the the best price would come from doing it all at once. Uh, you get you know multiple discounts from you know getting multiple units, savings on shipping, and the the ease and savings on setting up assembly teams in one foul swoop. Mm -hmm. um, the on the other end of the spectrum, uh, and and that's and and that can be said you know across the the entire state. Uh, we've done things. You know, ac across Texas, we've done things across Delaware. Uh, you know, you, na you name a state, and we've done things for for businesses who have multiple entities across that state, um, mm -hmm. and even internationally. Um, and when when you do it as a wave or as an entire rollout, it it often works uh, a lot more seamlessly. Um, but on the other hand, there's also benefits uh, uh, to seeing a test unit seeing how the community responds to the talk box in a space, oh, yeah. uh, knowing, knowing how many people are interested in uh, signing up to use it. Um, those kind of things can certainly help when determining how many more booths you need or how many booths you need in a given location. Um, mm -hmm. However, you know, when, when we see, um, when we see customers with that mentality, who purchase, you know, potentially one or two units, uh, you know, trying to test them out. Uh, often we see those people come back trying to fill the growing need for more more private and secure spaces. Uh, mm -hmm. Often uh, quickly see that their booths are always getting filled up um, and, and then, you know, come back looking for more of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when uh, – when placed in a in a nice you know in a nice space, um, private safe spaces like a talk box booth are are often sought after for for either work or telecommunications. Um, you know you see people trying to um, squirrel them away for the entire day sometimes in office settings. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh huh. That 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 makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Um, so let me give you a couple of institutions. And you can tell me the uh, how likely it is that they would benefit with your product, right? So we talk about libraries, right? And that's where you have uh, definitely some examples that to, to talk to people about. What about yep. um, schools? Yeah, schools are a great example. Um, so we've done things um, in different settings. We've we've done things in. Um, you know, individual classrooms where you have uh, a quiet space to have, um, you know, people, you know, you have, you have, you can do a whole wall of these things you can have quiet spaces for people to read. You can have quiet spaces for people to do um, online learning sessions, which is often, often a big thing. Um, my uh, CFO, he has a, um, a child who does at home uh, learning like a lot of people are doing right now. Um, mm -hmm. and he has a, he has one of these phone booths in his, uh, spare bedroom so that his, oh, wow. his kid and do his, do his classes and not be disturbed by the, the barking dogs and the ringing doorbell and, <laughs> and, and his conversations online and, and, you know, his, his wife's work and, and all these kind of things. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a day and age where everybody's online, everybody's talking, everybody's doing it all on top of each other. And it's, 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 you know, even if you have a big place, it can seem, you know, tight. So right, separate, right. getting a place that's, um, you know, sound reducing and private and, and, and nice, um, like a talk box booth can really go a long way for that. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say, um, one of your customers, um, Cherokee Health, uh, I interviewed them for an article I was doing, and um, the the CFO was a person I talked to, 
And she was so excited about the possibilities of what can be done in terms of telehealth and getting it out. Uh, she mentioned that after they, um, you know, saturated the uh, the schools and the libraries, her vision is to go off to uh, public housing um, uh, facilities, right? So yep. how would you put that in terms of, you know, is that an ideal uh, setup? I mean, because you, you can have anywhere from, you know, 50 units uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place, or you could have two or three hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any any number is uh, is doable for us. We do um, all of our manufacturing in the U.S., so we're able to you know meet any kind of demand like that. Um, mm-hmm. Cherokee Cherokee Health is a really really cool organization who offers um, healthcare to people who are in need, um, and so that was another uh, opportunity for us that we we really appreciated them coming to us. Uh, for their talk box booths because, you know, we love customers that, that do great things for the community like that. Um, mm-hmm. So they, like you said, they have um, a multitude of different, um, you know, prongs that they're attacking the, the healthcare, you know, crisis with. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, like you said, there, there can be situations where we have multiple of these in a, um, in a healthcare setting or we have them, uh, in a, in a home setting. So, um, yeah, it's, it's all doable. Um, we've done, we've done these booths for, you know, countless different types of organizations and communities, um, countless different settings. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really great when we can do them for, um, companies like Cherokee Health and Delaware libraries who, mm-hmm. um, out there and helping people. So now, um, before I forget, yeah, do you incorporate some way uh, to um, have an internet connection? I assume the wireless part, uh, for those that are doing wireless connect- connectivity, it's fairly easy because you put a router up on top of the box or what have you. Um, but the, uh, is there like a, like a way to facilitate uh, wired uh, internet access? In your, in yeah. Your, in your yeah. There, there's there's very easy and user friendly uh, ports on the on the back side and uh, left side of the booth uh, for individuals to either run an Ethernet cord or added Cat fives or Cat six, whatever whatever you're trying to put into the booth. If you need some extra power in there, you can add some extra power cords. Mm-hmm. Uh, those all those kind of things can be added. Um, we have um, five free power core, or, uh, you know, 120 volt, uh, power plugs in the booth. Uh, every booth comes with two USB plugs, um, all those kind of things, you know, lights, fans, all those electronics are already in the booth, but you can always add extra things, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, a, like the monitor mount, extra fans, things like that. If you, if you, if you so choose, um, and, um, yeah, so most people do the uh, do the wireless route. Um, the booth doesn't, uh, you know, negate Wi-Fi, um, but uh, some people do like the Ethernet, especially if um, you're doing telehealth meetings. It's nice to, if you're doing a, a video chat to to not have any latency on that. Ah, uh, um, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. And then so, um, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just just one more thing on that. Um, you know, we've done um, we've done rollouts where we do multiple booths in uh, one location or multiple booths in multiple locations, um, especially for for a couple different universities where they do you know they do one at uh, one college and then they do they do another couple at a different college and they do another couple at a different college all, all on the same campus um, mm-hmm. and do that it's pretty fun uh for individuals to also do um which is kind of old school but they do a dedicated phone line for for each booth um Mm -hmm. and then have you know the dedicated line and you can call you can potentially call in from either booth to have you know have a quick meeting um another nice thing that uh organizations like that do is is they'll get a a calendar software associated with the booth so that people Mm -hmm. can 
schedule times to use the booth because like I said, a lot of times these things become hot commodities inside the inside the workplace or inside a public space. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So here's here's a maybe a, an odd uh, place. Um, what about churches? I've been having people lately say, you know, you never talk about churches and how uh, churches can be a hub for uh, for telehealth because, you know, other than barbershops and hair salons, uh, a lot of people go to church and they trust the institution. So it would be easy to incorporate, uh, like, you know, one of your, your units um, as a telehealth service after the service, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a great idea. Churches are, churches are safe spaces in the community, which is what, um, which is what libraries are, right? It's a, uh-huh. it's a space uh-huh. for you. Oh, it's a space for knowledge. It's a space for uh, exchange, um, and and that's what you know. That's what we try to also preach with the the talk box booth. We try to um, have a space that's quiet, comfortable, safe, uh, and and you can you know be productive and 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 either learn a lot or 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 give a lot. Um, and so so yeah, I I really like the idea of having um, churches be involved in the in the telehealth push um, mm-hmm. and and even beyond that um, just after you know the the Sunday service or you know right before um, if you need to make a quick phone call and it's raining outside uh, you know you can't necessarily do that in between the pews um, so having a having a talk box near the front door uh, could could also you know help out there too yeah um, so added uh, bonus ad yeah okay. yeah absolutely okay. so over the last, you know, five or six years, if we've had uh, any churches, uh, you know, under our belt there, but, um, but off the top of my head, I can't think of one. We, we, we've certainly done, um, you know, church affiliated uh, organizations, universities, uh, private organizations, things like that. But, I can't think of like a, a chapel that we have a, a talk box in, but mm-hmm. I might have to go down. I might have to go down to my local, uh, you know, <laughs> local and see if they need one. Say, hey, seriously, you know, I mean, the the thematic aspect of it is great because you know you get to the whole spiritual healing, and then there's your your health, you know, your physical healing. And so a church that brings it all to, you know, to their, their uh, parishioners is pretty significant. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Um, I have a question about um, telehealth as a public safety, and I'm sorry, as, as a public health um, benefit, right? Does you know, do your units lend themselves to, say, the, like a, a county um, department of health doing screenings of certain populations that normally, like the homeless, for example? You know, yep. can you see um, facilitating telehealth to those populations where in some way having this enclosed private space like your unit would uh, facilitate. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. Um, so, so yeah, I think that having a space like this in a safe place, like, you know, like you mentioned a church or um, in a library or at a local healthcare facility, um, it, it, it puts up, um, safe barriers for both individuals. So taking care of someone online for a routine checkup or initial visits um, can help keep both parties safe and cut costs down on both ends. So you don't have mm-hmm. to be, so one individual doesn't have to be traveling. There's not as much time, you know, waiting room. You don't have to have people, um, you know, congregating in the same place that potentially are all sick or potentially, you know, um, you know, could lash out at each other, right? You, you, uh, cut down yes, on, right. You, you cut down on all those kind of 
you know, circumstances, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, at at TalkBox, we really truly believe that privacy is safety. Um, So, so with that, we have booths that have, you know, acoustic panels to help protect sensitive conversations. We have uh, frosted privacy glass on the doors as an option um, to help, uh, you know, protect people's uh, visual privacy inside the booth. Um, And then, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, UVC light systems and HEPA filters to help clean the air uh, and the surfaces inside the booth after someone's been inside it. So if you have vulnerable populations that are, you know, going in person after person after person, you can have, uh, you know, this UVC light quickly come on and within a couple minutes clean the entire surfaces of the booth. Um, And then, you know, all of our electronics are UL compliant. Uh, We're capable with, um, or we're compatible with fire sprinkler systems. So all those kind of things, you know, all those like common concerns for people who are putting the, you know, putting something inside a building, especially a public building. um, Mm -hmm. We've tried, we've tried to address all of those things. Um, And, you know, and with that, Craig, I I don't, I don't mean to, you know, jump ahead here if I am. um, But, um, you know, with that, because we offer all of those, public health benefits, mm-hmm. um, often the, the talk box falls within uh, many, healthcare grant, uh, many healthcare grants and, uh, wow, uh, and federal funding programs for, for municipalities and even for um, uh, public entities. So um, a lot of the federal funding programs that are going around right now have language in it to add uh, PPE or personal protection equipment to uh, facilities and, and, and give to your employees. Um, mm-hmm. And so with the, with the UVC light, with the HEPA kit, with the, um, you know, the increased safety with, with the barriers and the walls, um, you actually, you actually get that personal protection. So that's really nice. Excellent. We've got about uh, two minutes to, to wrap this up. I want to make sure I hit on um, what's the cost range and also um, what's the setup time? I mean, what are we talking in terms of, you know, days, hours, you have to get a crew in to install, but definitely price, definitely setup time. What you got? Yeah, so um, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, we have a couple different options. Um, there's the single booth, which starts at $39.95. Um, that would just be our single standard booth uh, with a sliding door. Um, our, our, our single booths have two different options. One is with a sliding door and one is with a folding door. Both of them are really great options for public spaces because they cut down on the actual footprint that the booth takes up. So mm-hmm. a swinging requires the entire space capacity for the door to actually open um, and is also a lot more difficult for people uh, who potentially have uh, different ailments to, to open open and close that door. Um, so so I really like the sliding and folding doors. Um, the slide starts at $39.95 and the fold starts at $49.95. And mm-hmm. then there's um, and then for the telehealth add-on for the single um, those add-ons start at $21.99 for the singles. Um, so the, the add-on includes the germicidal UVC light, which is patent pending, uh, the telehealth monitor uh, wall uh, and monitor mount, and the uh, HEPA filtration, and the dual fans. So that, that's what's included in the, um, the telehealth add-on. Um, and then we also have that telehealth add-on for the double booth, at uh, uh, twenty nine ninety nine, so so gotcha. Okay, all right. Um, Thirty seconds. What do you have uh, in terms of setup time? What are we talking about? So yeah, for setup, um, generally customers come to us with uh, with wanting you know full setup. So we we call it white glove installation. Uh, I'll I'll manage a team that will come deliver the booth, unpack, uncrate, remove all the trash install, uh, build the booth, test it, make sure all the electronics are working, clean all the surfaces and leave it in showroom quality for the customer. Um, so that's generally what customers go with. Um, okay. The other for people who have large facility teams, uh, sometimes schools go this option um, or, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes libraries will go with this too if they're, you know, 
really large and have a lot of time on their hands, which, you know, none of us seem to have right now. Yeah, um, tell me about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, we're we're, about, we're at the end. Um, I'm sorry I need to cut you off here, but uh, Andrew, it's been great. I appreciate your um, uh, information and our audience. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'll be here next week. Thank you, Craig. Really appreciate your time.